listening to the Human Care Podcast, part of the Invisible Not Broken Network. I'm your host, Eva Minkoff. On this show, I have candid conversations with chronic illness warriors and health practitioners who are redefining what it means to be human when faced with health challenges. I'm also the founder of Wellacopia, the matching site for healthcare relationships. We connect chronic illness wellness seekers with the integrative providers best suited to be their partners in care. To match with your dream doctor, therapist, nutritionist, acupuncturist, chiropractor, and more, visit wellacopia.com. Today, I had the honor of interviewing Clorinda Wally. Clorinda leads the charity Good Days, which is a national nonprofit that primarily provides financial assistance to patients so that they don't have to choose between access to medicine they need and affording everyday living. Since 2003, Good Days has provided more than 800,000 grants and helped more than 500,000 people with access to healthcare resources. In addition to 20 years of experience in healthcare and over 12 years in strategic philanthropy, Clorinda is also a chronic illness warrior herself with ulcerative colitis, enteropathic arthritis, and more recently endometriosis and migraines. So in a nutshell, the girl gets it. Heads up, a couple minutes into part one, we talk about curse words, since I asked her about some of her favorite ones before recording this. Also sad to say that there are a bunch of technical glitches and I couldn't get rid of all of them, but they're not that bad and I promise it's worth it to keep listening. So in part one of our conversation, we explore the importance of validation, support, and at the same time, having a good laugh. And then we move into her story, which includes a close call with a potentially fatal stroke. And then we talk about how she learned to take control of what she could to prepare herself for the unknown and to breathe. Before we get started, a reminder that all conversations and health claims on this podcast are based on individual experiences and expertise. Everyone has their own personal and professional truths and should be treated as such. Okay, let's get started. You look lovely. What an interesting background. So yes, um, those are people, and it's, I use it as symbolism. So you've got everyone is on a different path in their life. And so when you're, when you're looking at someone, you don't really know where it's at. And so the, the wall is a reminder. There's some people that are in the middle of adversity. And so they're climbing the mountain. There's, there's others who have overcome it, coming down. And then the ones you see below, those are the people around you that are there to catch you if you fall. And so again, it's just a daily reminder that you never know where someone is at. That's amazing, amazing. Yeah. And I know that like, I didn't provide you like books um, and you, you certainly can ask me any, and like my favorite cuss word. So I tend to use like, this sucks, you know, like a lot of times I'm like, man, this sucks. Or um, I say shit a lot too, so. <laughs> it's just a fun, it's a fun question. It's like, first of all, this is a podcast where we say really whatever one wants to say so no worries there um but also it's just like hey what's some fun things about you <laughs> um, I have a crazy story of curse words so I have three sons and um the youngest one one time he 
I'm in the restroom, of course, and they have no boundaries. I just walk in and lock the door. And so he's like, mom, and he was five. He's like, can I say son of a bitch? I'm like, what? I'm like, no, Jackson, you cannot say that. I'm like, where did you even hear that? He's like, I was just wondering, closes the door, comes back in a few seconds later. And he's like, well, can I just say bitch? I'm like, no, Jackson, that's the bad word. And he was like, oh, I thought it was son of a, like, I don't even know where he got that. Cause that's not like, I might have used that term before, but not in that way. So I'm like, what in the, I don't know where he got it, but it was just the funniest thing. And I'm like, when would you use that? But yeah, there you have it. That's a good, how old is he now? Now he is 12. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, I remember when I, I, I didn't curse very much. And then I moved to Paris when I was 17. I like graduated early and my best friend there was from Holland and she cursed like every other word, but she sounded so cute. <laughs> I didn't care. So fuck became a pretty big part of my vocabulary. And then everyone said, when I came back from Paris, we're like, why are, why are you saying this word all the time? I didn't even notice. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> it is funny. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I suck came along with, with these, with this chronic illness. Like, cause sometimes that's just it. It sucks. Move on. That, and it kind of made me feel better. I'm like, yeah, it does, but it's all right. That is, I've actually have never thought about it in the context of pain. It's like, so I personify my pain a lot, which I find to be a good coping mechanism. Like mm. it's like a person that's making me mad rather yeah. than, uh, mm-hmm. rather than my body betraying me. Let's see. What do I say? Uh, I think I say, stop pissing me off. We're like, stop. Like enough's already. But like chill. <laughs> Actually, I've definitely told my buddy to chill a number of times. I feel like my sister, you know, I, I, I sent you some information. She has um, an underlying condition of uh, uh, like, it's essentially it's lupus. And so every, you know, it's, it's almost like on a weekly basis, something else happens. And like, and she'll call me and she's not looking for, for me to feel sorry for her. She just wants to know that I'm like, and so I always tell her, I'm like, you know, Maria, this sucks. And that's all she wants to hear. Uh, so yeah, when we spoke uh, briefly, like a, a week or so ago, I don't remember the context of the conversation, but you, I even wrote it down in my notes that you said, when someone's in pain or someone's experienced loss, what do you, what's something that you can say to them? Uh, and in a nutshell, it's, I'm sorry, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's true because it's a validation, right? You like you show that you you um, have a personal negative response to it. Like it's like I'm sorry. I can mm-hmm. see and I can see that that's bad, and this sucks. It's a validation of it not being great for them. And you know what I found just in in being sick is everyone's always wanting to try to help or make it better. And sometimes you don't, you don't want that. It's just, or you don't always want to be constantly reminded that you're sick or how are you feeling? Like every sentence beginning with, you know, how are you feeling? Like sometimes I just want, Hey, what are you doing? Do you want to go out? Do you, instead of just always coming back to, are you doing okay? Yeah. Like, I, I, not so much in the context of being sick, but just in general, I will totally admit to being bad at that. I am a fixer. Yeah, right. There's pros and cons to it. And uh, I, it was particularly true with my friends with, uh, let's just say, mental health issues growing up. Mm. And I couldn't relate. So I would just try and find solutions for them all the time and didn't understand. 
makes me feel bad when I think about it now, but. No, because that's just, it's, it's, it's very human to, to want to, and especially with people you love, you want to make them better. And, and sometimes you, sometimes it's just listening. And, and that was another thing I learned from, from being sick is not only do you have to listen to your body, but listen to others. And, and, and maybe it's just an ear or maybe it's just telling them, you know, this is crap. You know, and, and sometimes life, you know, dumps a pile of it on you. <laughs> you clean up and move on. And mine, in, in, in my disease, it was literal. <laughs> it was horrible. Uh, I got to say, I love it when people talk about um, gastrointestinal issues because there's always good jokes in there. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yes. My family got good at them. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, my husband's a gastroenterologist. I call him the kid poop doctor. It's great. Yeah. Yes. And my kids are fascinated with it. And I'm like, well, you know, you should have been around earlier. <laughs> I guess you, you had all this before the poop emoji was invented. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it was perfect. I think it was probably created for me. I always remember the whole thing shit happens. It did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so actually, speaking of that, uh, I'd love to hear as much as you want to tell about your story, because you clearly turned... Um, something that was well shitty for you mm -hmm. and turned into a positive movement you've turned it around you know it was it was I never realized and again I've been in healthcare for since I was 15 years old I worked in a pharmacy and you think you really I mean I thought I knew like I had it all figured out and I knew how to help people I knew what they wanted um, the, the people that we served whether it was in specialty pharmacy um, or, or in, in other avenues and I learned I didn't know anything and so when you, you know, I, mine manifested when I was pregnant with my third child. At that point, I don't recall ever even taking an antibiotic. I don't recall ever having a cold, an ear infection, a sinus, zero. In, I don't know, 15, 16 years of working, never called in sick once. Uh, so it was very odd to me. So I got pregnant. Um, and I guess it must have been about two months into the pregnancy and I, I, I got sick. And I called my sister and I'm like, something's wrong with me. And she was like, what do you mean? I'm like, I, so, there's something wrong with me. I'm like, I've never been sick in my life. I'm sick. And I told her, um, so for, I think it's from like a Stephen King novel. I'm like, I think I have Thinner's disease. So I should be gaining weight and I'm, I'm losing weight. And it, it's just, it was just crazy the way it all manifested. Um, I went to emergency rooms and again, I'm pregnant. And so they would just say, oh, you're anemic. You just, you just need to take children's vitamins. I had Jackson. Um, and it just became worse. And my symptoms just became so bad. Uh, you know, I, from, a, from a bathroom perspective, if something took place, I had seconds, seconds to, to get somewhere. Um, and again, I, I went to, to doctors, I, I went to emergency rooms many times and no one could really figure it out. Uh, so it, it took me, and again, this is a good story is, you know, I, I hear horror stories where it takes people years and years to, to finally kind of figure out what's going on. Um, uh, I went through a, a few doctors um, and then I finally found Dr. Brown and, um, and it was at a time when it was very critical. And at, at that point in me trying to figure out what was happening, my hands had uh, curled in. And so the, uh, it was arthritis. Um, and so, and my toes were curled in. And so I was driving to work with my wrists. Like I, you know, I, I still wouldn't miss the work, but it was, it was, it was crazy. And like, I, I was thinking I must be going crazy. You know, I've been, I'm going to these doctors, I'm going to this emer these emergency rooms and they're saying, you're, there's nothing wrong with you or you're just anemic. 
And I'm like, you know, I was like, am I making this up? Am I manifesting my hands curling in? Um, and I, I find Dr. Brown and at, at that point, I was at my wit's end and he happened to have been on a vacation that, that week. And so they, I was in the emergency room that Monday and again, my hands, I'm not knowing what's wrong with me. And so finally on that Friday, I just decided I'm just gonna drive myself to, to Dr. Brown's office. And you know, there was many different, there was other gastroenterologists in his office. And so I just, I go to the front desk and I just cry. And so I'm like, I don't have an appointment, um, but something is wrong with me. I said, and I'm not leaving until somebody helps me. And so, you know, I, I felt sorry for the, the lady at, um, at the front desk because she was just like, holy cow, what do I do with this woman? And so she very kindly is like, you know, I'll be right back. And she goes to the back and she gets um, one of the doctors. And he comes out and he's like, I understand that you have an appointment with Dr. Brown um, next week. He's not in the office, but let me, let me take you back and, and let's just take some vitals and see what we can do. And so, you know, I go to the back and he was very, very kind. And he's like, let's just start with taking your temperature. And so he takes my temperature and it's elevated. And he's like, well, I've got good news. And he's like, and I was like, okay, what is that? He's like, I can admit you, you have an elevated temperature. So, and his off, their office happened to be in the hospital. And so he, he calls down and he gets me to room. And so I, you know, I go into this, hospital room I'm getting admitted and it, it, it was amazing the short time it took for him for me to go in his office to then to be in that room so they take me they do my vitals I don't have a, a, a temperature anymore and I I, I I believe to this day that that was that was a, an, an intervention from God so how did I you know two hours ago I have an elevated temperature now I have nothing and so they proceed to do these tests um, they, they do a sonogram. I guess it was a sonogram. I'm not sure of my whole body. Um, and you know, I didn't go then, but I now they're looking for blood clots. Well, sorry. Oh, sorry. Second, it, second, it went all weird again. It's okay. Um, I guess sorry. Yeah, can you start from the when you went the? You, you didn't have a temperature. Oh, so again, I I didn't. I no temperature. And you know, I, you know, I look back at it now, and I and I, I I strongly believe that that was that was God's doing to get me into that hospital. Um, they proceed to do other tests. You know, they they check my blood levels. They they're drawing all this blood. Um, they're doing this sonogram of my body, which I know now was to look for blood clots. The next thing I know, I have like a crash cart of of medical professionals coming into my room, and you know, kind of freaked me out. And uh, my family's not there. You know, I, I took myself to, to, to the doctor's office. My mom was with my three sons and they're like, um, we've got to do an emergency procedure. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, you have two blood clots and they've moved to, on both sides of your body, they've moved to your groin area. They're like, you've lost so much blood. Um, we can't give you blood thinners. Uh, and we honestly, we don't know how you're still alive and made it here. Uh, if your hemoglobin is supposed to be somewhere between 13 and 18, mine was a three. And so it, it just ha had been so slow in the progression of this disease. And I was losing so much blood on a daily basis. It just became my normal. And so I just would, I was just adjusting to it and, and not, I never realized how extreme it had become. And so immediately I, I called my sisters and I didn't want to tell my mom 
and I'm like, there's, there's apparently I've got these blood clots and they're afraid to, to give me blood thinners and I've got to go in surgery. And so what they wanted to do is they put a, this stint in my vena cava and it's kind of like this tiny little metal spider that they drop into your vein and then it like pops open and it attaches and it'll catch the blood clots and break them up um, so they can prevent stroke. And so I, you know, I don't even know how my sisters did it, but as they're carting me back to do this, they show up. So they're like, you know, I have three of my sisters. I have eight sisters and four brothers, just to put that in perspective. There's a lot of us. Wow. Um, they show up, um, which I, I was, I was so happy about. You know, I was scared. Again, never being sick to all of a sudden, you know, this near-death experience. Um, so I, I come out of that. Um, they, they put the stent in. And they start running a lot of tests. Um, you know, I have ulcerative colitis. Um, they put me on heavy doses of steroids, um, which miraculously, I, I, you know, I call steroids the drug that can kill you. You know, you take, you know, they, they work so well, but you can't be on them forever. I mean, slowly, you know, my hands are opening up, my feet are opening up, my, the arthritis is, is, is in check. So, you know, I, I go home, um, I was in the hospital for a week. Uh, and, you know, once we got everything under control, they're like, okay, so we're going to, there's, and this is another thing I learned going through a chronic illness is there's not a map for autoimmune disease. One does not exist. And the way that ulcerative colitis manifested in me isn't the same way it's going to manifest in others. And then I also learned that it doesn't come with one disease. So unfortunately, autoimmune disease, it's, it's many so you get this one, oh, and there's this underlying condition of this. Oh, and by the way, this can also happen. So it's just it's this, this crazy thing. Well, through my journey, I started on, you know, taking pills. And so at any given time, I could be taking 30 to 40 different medications, um, pills, infusions, injections. Um, and it, I, essentially, the only thing that ever really worked for me were steroids. And so, you know, I would start on 60 milligrams of steroids, titrate down to 20 and have to start back up. And so, you know, in the meantime, I have three children and one is under one years old. I have a job that you have to go to. So you, you kind of have to figure out, you, you got to manage all these things and then make sure everyone around you is okay. Um, so it, it was certainly an interesting journey for me. Um, in the end, you know, I was on Humira, Pimpasa, you name, you name the drug out there for autoimmune diseases, I took them, and none of them worked. I eventually uh, had to, you know, I ha had my, my ulcerative colitis doctor here, the gastroenterologist, and then the surgeon. And so we kind of just all got together and say, okay, there's a point when medication stopped working, and they weren't working for me. So we um, decided that we were going to have, um, I was going to have a colectomy. And so we scheduled the colectomy. Um, you know, they showed me all these lovely videos of what an, people with an ileostomy bag and how wonderful their life could be. And, you know, they, it was like just all these rainbows of, of ways that this is going to help. And, and so, I, you know, I learned that if, if, it's, if there's a bad way to have ulcerative colitis, it was going to be me. Like, Every wrong turn happened to me. And so I, I kind of wanted after that, I'm like, you know, I need to create the video of, you know, here's how it could be, or here's how it could be. Um, so I got the ileostomy bag and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty graphic. I won't go into all the details, um, but essentially what they do is they just take you, 
you know, they take your large, your small intestine from where it meets your stomach. They cut a hole in your stomach, pull it out, and they slice it. And so they, they're trying to kind of just stop all the digestive stuff because they cut out your large intestine. And so they want that to heal um, before anything else. Um, well, so what happened to me is it receded. So instead of kind of going into the bag, it just kind of oozed. Well, what happened was it created third degree burns. And so I had this third degree burns around my stomach from the acid and the bag wouldn't stick. And it, it was, it was, it was crazy. And it would, I would, it would give me so much anxiety. Like the first time it happened, I passed out. I knew at the time it was happening, but I, you know, have my sister and my mom there, they didn't know. And they were, you know, since I became sick, they were always, everyone was extra concerned about me. And I, I pass out, these firemen are wheeling me away. And I'm like, I, I come to, and I'm like, okay, I, again, I'm half dressed. I'm embarrassed. I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 I'm okay. They're like, well, you, you know, your sister said that you, you passed out. I'm like, I had a panic attack. I just got overly anxious um, and I, I caused it upon myself. I'm like, so if you wouldn't mind just kind of setting me down, uh, but I appreciate you coming. And so, you know, I just learned you, you just have to, I had to get mentally right um, because I, I couldn't manage me. I couldn't manage everything if, if I wasn't right here. And so I, I just had to kind of breathe and come to copes with, okay, you know, we've got to figure this out. No one could do it for me. Um, and so I, so I did, and, you know, as, as it would come off, you know, I was just like, it's okay. I was, I was prepared. I had all the things I needed with me. Um, one thing I wasn't prepared for is like, when you have an autoimmune disease, it, it requires organizational skills, which I lack. Like I have zero organizational skills. So it was a, it was a whole new thing for me to say, okay, you know, have like a checklist. Do I have this? Do I have this? So when I left the house, you know, I was prepared for anything. And so, you know, that, that became a little much for me. So I go back to the doctor and I, I talk to the surgeon and I'm like, I got to have this reversed. You know, I, I can't, I can't live with it. It was hard for me to cope, you know, you know, and having done that, I also had to go see a psychiatrist um, because it was like, it, it was emotionally more than I was capable of handling. And so that was hard for me, like thinking, you know, I've always felt like, oh, I'm, I'm under, you know, I'm, I have all this control. I'm the second youngest of 12 kids. And I've, you know, I was always the strong one. I'm the one where that I'm the, I'm the helper. I'm the one that people come to and asking for help. Holy cow. That was, that was hard. And again, I have just this great support system of, of sisters and brothers and, and my mom, but it was so hard for me to say, huh. I can't, I can't do this. Um, I need somebody to help me with the boys. And I have to take medication because I think I'm going, you know, going crazy. And so, you know, it was like over, overcoming all these different things and it, it became easier. And, and then I was okay. And the medication, it really helped. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was going crazy anymore. And, and again, everything that I was going through my family was going through. And so I, you know, I would, I would have to tell myself, like, it's okay to feel sorry for yourself. It's okay to be angry and it's okay to cry, but you can't stay there. And so I would just kind of give myself some time. 
some like you know alone time and, and set like you know five minutes on my clock to say okay go ahead and cry about it or go ahead and be mad about it or just get, get all that those those horrible feelings out and then move on and then put it aside and then know that if you need to do it again you'll have some you know you, you got the time on the clock tomorrow um but you know staying in that place wasn't good it wasn't healthy it made me feel worse it made me feel guilty so you know it, it came along with all these this other baggage that that i didn't need and so you know i just said okay now's your time go ahead and go ahead and you know start your the feel the feel sorry for your clock starts now and then when it buzzes move on you know get get back into life and so I, you know i learned to do that and um i i talked to the i talked to the surgeon and we reversed the ileostomy and you know th that went that went really well um fortunately no infections um and you know from from that point really i think that i had the disease under control you know my my daily life even if you're you're looking at now it's it's very manageable so i have pain i have a discomfort but it was nothing like it was and you know i i just i i look back on that and you know there there are times when you're sick and you're in the you're in the middle of all of of all of these struggles that you think it's never going to end and you know this is it this is this is my life and you know, I'm never going to forget this, and, and you do, and you you learn to move on. And like you know, one of the things I learned is just breathe. And when something new happens, like it's not it's not going to be the end of the world. And just you know, just add that add that to the to the, to to the collection. You know. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Human Care Podcast part of the Invisible Not Broken podcast network. If you haven't already, please take the next 30 seconds to do these three things. Hit our subscribe button, leave feedback with a review, and share this episode with a loved one. Don't forget to check out our official Invisible Not Broken network Facebook group. Please join us in our community conversations where you can ask questions, connect with fellow Invisible Illness peers, and make suggestions for the podcast. Visit facebook.com slash groups slash Invisible Not Broken. And this link will, of course, be in the show notes. Also, if you ever want to submit a question or suggestion directly, feel free to send an email to chronicillnesspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for tuning in and being part of our mission to transform healthcare into human care.